Swim Talkers and welcome to Torpedo Swim Talk. I'm your host Danielle Sperling and each week I chat to a master swimmer from around the world about their swimming journey. Do you want to find out how to improve your time over 50 metres freestyle and get better at sprinting? Well in today's podcast Olympic gold medalist and master's world record holder Chris Feidler shares his secrets. Hi Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, nice to see you. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. Which uh, which pool in Sydney do you get your swims in these days? Uh, for the majority, it's at uh, Tattersall's Club in the city, which is kind of on uh, Elizabeth Street there. I've been swimming there for probably the best part of 20 years. Um, also do a little bit of swimming at Ian Thorpe Pool at Ultima as well, um, yeah, when I need a bit of long course work. Yeah. How, how long is the Tattersall's Pool? Just 25. 25, yeah. And, and how often do you get a swim in there? Kind of depends a little bit um, on if I'm training for something or not, but generally three times a week. And can you fit that into your work day? Like do you do before before work, lunchtime? I'm a before, I'm a before work exerciser only. Yeah, I just, if I, if I don't get up and uh, get straight into it, I don't get it done generally during the day. And, and uh, so I'm up up early, kind of catch a train into the city, do my laps or, and a bit of gym or something, and then uh, then get off to work. And do you have a group of a group of uh, guys there that you swim with or by yourself? What's no, the... I do. I, I'm a terrible um, uh, lone swimmer. Um, I cheat on myself constantly uh, with the laps that I should be doing. And... Uh, for me, swimming is a, a social thing. So I've got a really great group of guys that really the core of which have been together swimming for you know, long periods of time. And, and um, we've done all sorts of different events, whether that be, you know, team kind of relays uh, in Hawaii or the Rotto swim a few times as a duo or a quad or uh, some master stuff. So we generally try and find some goals, um, but have a good time while we do it as well. And you've just you've just had a, a pretty uh, a great event up at Woi Woi, breaking the world record in the 50 metre freestyle for Masters and also the 4x50 relay. Talk us through that and how did that all yeah, come Yeah, that, that was a good one. We, um, we actually had uh, oh, 10 years or so um, a group of us uh, had a crack at uh, the national record and I think actually we, we might have broken the world record for a very short period in the, in the 4x50. Um, with a very old friend of mine who passed away uh, earlier this year called Alan Brown. And, and Alan was a f- fabulous uh, sprinter and master swimmer and, and won numerous world championships. And he was very keen for us to have another crack at that. Um, but unfortunately, uh, you know, wasn't able to. But a group of us who were otherwise swimming thought we may as well you know, keep keep heading towards that. So at the Nationals, we had a, a very, um, you know, a slapdash kind of put together four by 50, uh, which broke the national record. And and I hadn't swum 50 freestyle forever. So that was a bit of, bit of fun. Um, and uh, we only missed the world record by about three quarters of a second. So we knuckled down for another six weeks and, and uh, imp- I improved um, my dive a lot. And the guys kind of improved their changeovers a lot. Um, and with, you know, Guy Farrow and, and, and James Hickman and Pete Teal, um, we managed to stick together a really, really good 4 by 50 last weekend. Um, I don't think any of us made a mistake and, and all of us kind of executed well. So I was really fortunate to uh, to get the individual re- world record. It wasn't kind of my focus, but I just wanted to get down and back as quickly as I could for the guys. And, and uh, yeah, we had a big glass of champagne afterwards to celebrate. I bet you did. Well, it was yeah. great, great swimming by all of you. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. 
What did you do differently in the six weeks? You, you mentioned it was a bit sort of slapped together at nationals. So Yeah, well, we, we do some general kind of training. Most of our training uh, that we do is more aerobic type stuff, uh, a bit along the distance and just kind of get through, you know, three, four, five K, depending on, you know, what kind of the main set looks like. So the training for this was a bit more specific. I had the guys um, doing uh, a lot more sprinting, um, but also um, some technical stuff related to relay. So really making sure we were focusing around turns and changeovers. And so we, uh, you know, every Friday we'd do a series of changeovers. We kind of knew the order we wanted to swim and we just practiced those. And um, James Hickman, uh, who I mentioned before, is uh, was a, a great um, English swimmer. So I had a lot of experience um, with relays also. Um, and uh, he's now working here as the head of marketing for Speedo. And so between the two of us, we kind of coached the, the other two guys on how to do changeovers properly. I, I must say, though, with the advent of uh, mobile phones and smartphones and slow-mos, it does make it much easier when you kind of just have your phone there and just kind of watch the changeover and then analyse it straight away. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. Well, you did a good job because you broke it by 1.2 seconds, I believe. So that'll yeah. stand for some time and hopefully you can lower it in the meantime. Uh, I, I hope so. I hope it doesn't create a uh, motivation for someone to come out and break it quickly. Have you got any plans as the four of you to perhaps um, head over to Japan next year and compete at the World uh, not, not at this stage, although, you know, there's, I think uh, at least one or two of the guys have been talking about heading across. So um, it's a long way, uh, a long way away yet. But there's, there's every likelihood that we might be able to motivate everyone to head across and, and, uh, and target maybe another event. Yeah, yeah, because that was a short course world record, am I it right? It was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so be great to get the long course one as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Look, let's take a look back at um, the eventful night in Sydney during the 2000 Olympics that you were part of in the winning gold medal men's 4x1 relay. I wanted to play you a little uh, sound grab of um, Dennis Cometti's commentary and then get your thoughts on it. Sure. Walker almost on terms with Feidler. This is going to be one heck of a race. Walker and Feidler, they've separated from the pack. Coming on, the Italians. They'll be back in third place with the race in the centre of the pool. Lane four and five. Feidler's digging deep. He's a strong finisher. He's bringing in the legs. He is going after these Americans. He wants them. He wants to eat them for dinner. Heidler finishing strongly, very strongly, down to the... I love that commentary. <laughs> yeah, I, I get goosebumps still listening to Andy <laughs> calling that. So, so the guy with uh, Dennis is Andrew Bailden, who... Uh, was a great sprinter in his own right. First Australian under 50 seconds, actually, in the, I think it was the Commonwealth Games in 1990. And uh, so he was, and, I, and he and I swam together in that race. So it was uh, it was nice to hear his voice. And he certainly knew the sport, knew the event, and uh, was getting very excited as the event progressed. <laughs> How do you feel about that now, looking back on it? I'm super proud, you know, super proud of that event. I, I'd raced... Um, the 4x100 for Australia at that point for nearly 12 years. And, and so my first my first team, I joined the national team when I was 16 and uh, just as a relay swimmer, just in the in the 4x1. And, and uh, uh, so raced at the World, World uh, no, the Pan Pacific Games that would have been in 89 and then kind of through the Commonwealth Games in 1990 and then the, you know, the Olympics in, you know, Barcelona and Atlanta and all of the world champs and stuff um, related on the way through. But... Um, 
it was a long road to become the best in the world. And, and for me uh, to be part of that team was awesome. Um, uh, unfortunately, I was the only survivor um, out of that uh, early days and early 90s that made it through to, uh, to Sydney uh, in that 4 by one team. Um, and uh, I was really lucky to have a couple of young guys in, in Ash Callis and, and Ian Thorpe and, and then a, a mid-termer in, in Michael Klim um, being there, um, all of which in their own right are amazing athletes and freaks, you know, and I, I was just thankful that they required a fourth person to actually, uh, <laughs> to actually, you know, swim with them. So, um, you know, the, the longevity kind of uh, benefited me, I think, more than anything at that point. So, um, but the, the, listen, the, the, uh, the road, you know, in Barcelona, I don't even think we made a final and we maybe got fifth in Atlanta. So to, to, uh, without, without medal, um, but it was really a goal of mine to find an Olympic medal, um, one way or another. And, and, um, and so 2000 was a great opportunity with everything in Sydney to do that. And I could see the team forming around us. Um, we had great sprinters and great depth. Um, for the two years leading into it. We'd actually won the, the Pan Pacific Games against the Americans the year before in that event. Um, and so we were starting to build some momentum. And, and uh, so it didn't come as a complete surprise. It came as a bit of a surprise on that night, um, how, how well uh, we swam, but how well we had to swim to actually do that. And it certainly helped uh, Ian finally starting to get a couple of uh, two lappers away, which was way out of his comfort zone. Uh, and it also helps when the guy who leads off breaks a world record, you know. So, so, so we had a few good things going our way that night. Yeah, yeah, because Michael Klim broke the world record in his leadoff leg and then you were up second. Yep. Yeah. Yes, I had no idea how, how quickly uh, Michael had swum. Um, it was our intention that Michael was leading at the end, so we kind of went fastest to slowest in that, in that event. And, and uh, I jumped in and... and um, Neil Walker, who was a very, very sharp um, American hunter freestyler, kind of jumped in um, just behind me. And, and our strategy was really to encourage the, the US guys to, to catch us in that first lap and then overpower them in the second. So slightly different to how most of us would swim 100 free, but we swam a little more conservatively than usual on the way out and um, really made sure we were finished strongly to get to get out in front at the end of that hundred and and that's the way that the race kind of played out for us absolutely well it worked it worked so well i mean the crowd was going absolutely wild and i know being in sydney the night before i uh remember those stands that were sort of vertically up from the pool and they were sort of a metal and people had were clapping their feet on them the sound was just crazy what was it like for you down on pool deck with all that noise ah I don't know. I, I, I uh, afterwards I remember the uh, the noise. Certainly, um, prior to the race, we're pretty focused. You, you you may or may not recall, but but Ian actually didn't make it out um, as the teams were being let out. He he had some trouble with his swimsuit post warm down of his four hundred. And in fact, uh, you know, we the three of us walked out behind the block. If you go back and watch the introductions, there's only three of us uh, that walk out. And um, it isn't until we actually get introduced as Australia that Ian had made a poolside appearance and kind of joined us um, just in his togs, no tracksuit or anything like that as he kind of rushed out. So we were, we were kind of pretty focused. There was certainly a great excitement. Um, but we had a job to do we, and we were, we were really just making sure that we executed against that as a team, but also as individuals. So as you're swimming 100 free, there's a lot of noise from the water. You don't hear hear a lot of it. Um, Post-swimming, um, you know, really cheering and focusing on getting the guys home in each event. 
Um, once the event was finished, though, um, it became quite a celebration and the, the noise as uh, Ian started to um, you know, catch Gary Hall on the way home in that, um, you know, that last lap was really just building and building and building. And as you said, it, it, it was absolutely a point where you thought the roof was going to blow off the place because it was so loud. Yeah, absolutely. And I know the four of you celebrated the 20th anniversary of that swim sort of during COVID. And I saw a few sort of things, a few videos going around where you caught up with the three of you and you had, was it Ash Callis who wasn't wasn't able to join you because of COVID lockdowns? Yeah, Ashley, unfortunately, wasn't able to get down from Queensland. Um, and uh, Ian, Ian Thorpe, actually, <laughs> Ian Thorpe had found or, or created a cardboard cutout life-size of Ash in, a, in his pair of swim trunks. And so he brought that along. So the four of us uh, were sitting at the dinner table, but Ashley appears as though he's just in swim trunks at the dinner table. So, so somewhere out there, there's photos of the four of us at that dinner. It's just that Ash is a cardboard cutout that night. <laughs> what did the other restaurant diners think about that? Oh, no, I don't think they knew what the heck was going on, you know, but we thought it was pretty funny and kept uh, sending, se sending Ash kind of text messages of, uh, of him at the table with us. <laughs> you all seem so connected now was it like that back then or is that sort of developed since you had that that time in that moment in time together I think all of the relationships were different um in uh you know 2000 Ian um was a young kind of superstar with a lot of pressure um and uh and, and really focused and he's 10 years younger than me so it's quite a significant like he I want to say he was 17, maybe at the, at the Olympics in 2000. And I was right at the tail end of my career. Um, Ash, it may have been his first team. So we didn't know a lot of each other. Um, and Michael and I had swum together for a while and, and, and uh, you know, we're, 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 we're strong friends. So um, it was kind of different and we all had different relationships with each other. Post, um, yeah, you're right. Like we have a really strong bond when we when we see each other. It's it's like seeing family, and uh, we can't wait to catch up and, and see what's happening um, with each other. We're not don't live in each other's pockets. We Ian and I are both in Sydney, and, and we actually catch up more frequently now than we ever have. Um, Michael lives predominantly in Bali, and Ashley's in in Queensland, and and so uh, we don't see a lot of each other as a four. Um, but it's nice, uh, nice when we do all catch up um, and uh, and celebrate and talk about how good we were, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, an amazing memory, and and I think um, one of the best. I mean, it's always spoken about as one of the best relays ever swum. So it must be amazing to be in, a part of that history. Yeah, it's a funny one. I've swum in in, in uh, lots of good relays and and um, medley relays and freestyle relays and. Um, I often wonder why that particular one seems to capture the imagination of sporting fans here. And, and, and uh, you know, I think it's a combination of things. It was that first night of the Olympics. It was the guitars. It was, um, you know, overcoming the Americans unexpectedly. And, um, it was, and, you know, we had superstars in that that were really excited about it as well. And we were really excited about that doing it. So um, it was just a great race. Yeah, a really great race. Um, you just touched on something then that I wanted to talk about too. You mentioned, I mean, at that time in Australian swimming, um, swimming was just forefront of everyone. It was on prime time for the trials and, and everything. And everyone knew every swimmer on the team. And that whole decade that you were on the team building up to that was sort of building up to that point in time. Who were your sort of influences or the people on the team who influenced you in that decade prior to Sydney? 
Hmm. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I entered the team in, in uh, 89, uh, and at that point we had no, no world record holders, no world champions, no Olympic champions uh, on the team. Um, as we progressed through, you know, the, the, the early 90s, we had people like um, Susie O'Neill, um, Kieran Perkins um, join, join the team and, and they became, um, you know, amazing athletes. Sam Riley um, joined kind of around that 91-ish kind of period and, you know, other great names like, you know, Phil Rogers and Matthew Dunn and Ellie Overton all kind of uh, joined in those early 90 kind of period. Hayley Lewis, Lindley Frame, you might remember, and... and uh, so there was a good group there, but we also had some older guys kind of uh, come in, guys like Duncan Armstrong and, and John Sieben, both of which had, you know, won uh, Olympic gold medals previously, were still, um, you know, making comebacks or getting back into it. And so they were certainly influential in sharing with us that, you know, it's not that unusual to be able to, to do what they did and, 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 and the hard work kind of components and just, you know, um, showing as an underdog, you can actually do some great things as well. And I think some some of the team cottoned onto that probably earlier than I did. And and uh, you know when you look back at um, you know Kieran particularly was really um, he really made a difference to the professionalism of the sport and the commercialization of the sport. Um, Lisa Curry was there early on as well in her kind of comeback into the '92, and she was an amazing um, profile boost for the sport. She and you know she still is, she still is I think even. You know, most recently she had the number one book in Australia, right? So she's she's yeah. still a, a person people people are interested in here, and uh, so that kind of attracted some sponsors uh, to the whole sport. And then the momentum started to build. You know, at '93 we had um, the Olympics uh, named in Sydney, and uh, and then there was some commercialised um, kind of pieces that just built and built. And as a result of that, and the success of the team as we got going, there was a, a lot of people, but. You know, by mid by mid to mid nineteen nineties, there, there wasn't a lot of people that had huge wealth of experience that was in our team. And when you think back at the twenty five years or thirty years before that, we had uh, a number of one off amazing athletes. You know, it might be Shane Shane Gould, um, or it might be John O or Duncan. Um, but there wasn't a team of great individuals that were all winning medals, or you know, you didn't have five. Olympic gold medalists kind of swimming at the same team at the same time. So we had to learn a lot of that ourselves on the way through um, and, and just kind of really mentor the young kids as they came in as to what we'd learnt so that they could kind of capitalise on that, uh, you know, beyond us, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, that 2000 Olympics, we did so well in relays. How much of an impact did Don Talbot have in, in sort of bringing that, those relays to the forefront? Well, it was re really his strategy from from the very early '90s when he joined was um, for us to be a strong team. We need to have depth, and and, uh, and the, the the way to demonstrate that is through relays, not just a relay, but the four by one, four by two medley relays. All needed to on both sexes really needed to be firing with with options on both sides as well. Um, he brought uh, Gennady Toretsky, who coached um, Alex Popov in and, and was uh, one of the senior coaches then down at the Institute of Sport. And Gennady was instrumental in really, I think, teaching us and our coaches how to sprint and, and what that kind of meant. Uh, and he really changed the way we prepared and, and, and trained for, for those events. And, uh, and then Don just kept driving that um, kind of philosophy. And so it took us a while to get there. But, um, you know, if I, if I reflect on, as I said before, Andrew Bailden broke 
50 seconds at the start of the decade, and, and that was the first Australian through. By the 2000 trials, uh, Michael and I were both breaking 49 at the trials, and I think just to make a final, you had to break 50, you know. So um, there was significant improvement in depth across uh, at least my event, and certainly the 4x2 was the same. It was a crazy good team, that 4x2 in Sydney. Yeah, and you mentioned Gennady Turetsky, and what, and yeah, and you, you also said obviously that um, he changed the way you thought about sprinting. What what did he do differently that we hadn't done before? Oh, um, well, there, there were lots of things. He um, he was uh, technically, you know, and I still think Alex is one of the greatest you know freestylers that you know we've seen as far as efficiency, stroke rate, um, just the control. Um, part of sprinting, you know, Alex was um, an amazing kind of um, model to, to kind of view and copy and, and uh, to do that required a lot more kind of long, slow work than what we probably were doing before. The intensity around gym became very specific. Um, the focus around core strength became really, really specific and, and, uh, and important. I think general professionalism probably improved a lot as well um, whether that be eating um, reducing the amount of beer intake um, <laughs> or uh, you know just making sure you slept and recovered appropriately um, was really important um, i think the other thing which i still think is is, is a weakness um, for those that uh, that are racing is around the the, the, the mental preparation and um, you know, the physical kind of the arousal level for, for each event. And I think uh, he, he, he spoke a lot around that. He talked a lot around that and taught a lot around how we could get ourselves emotionally into that optimal um, state uh, for the particular event that we're in. And, and everyone has a different um, um, peak and, 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 uh, and uh, ideal, you know, emotional state for an event and just sharing with, with all of us how we kind of experiment with the different things he so he was, he was really good and he was a really good coaches coach so it wasn't just talking to us it was talking to our coaches um you know i had a, a great coach called greg salter um we were based up in kingscliff um who learned you know a pile from gennardi and, and michael bowl um dennis cottrell you know they're all young coaches at that time that all enjoyed um you know, learning and, and understanding, you know, Gennady's thoughts and things as well. So it wasn't just the sprint, but, you know, he, he coached across a number of different events, Gennady. And talking about the 100 free, what do you think about the guys swimming it at the moment? Well, it depends. I, I don't think, um, you know, well, let, let me start that again. They're all faster than us. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I look at it with a critical eye. And, you know, I, I see Kyle Chalmers, who I think is amazing. Um, I look over the last few years, uh, maybe decade or so, with people like Cam McAvoy and James Magnuson and Eamon Sullivan. You know, we've had really standout 100 freestylers. Um, I'd like to see more of them rather than one or two standouts. I'd like to see seven guys going under 48, you know. <laughs> you know? Um, so I think there's some depth that we need to kind of improve. There's a, there's a couple of young um, kids coming through at the moment. Um, Finn Southam is, is is a great example. 16 year old going sub 49. Uh, actually, he beat my time I think at the trials just recently too. Unfortunately, um, as a 16 year old, I mean, but you know we need more of those kids kind of coming through to field a team that can be super competitive um, at that international level. And yeah. Um, yeah, so I think I think there's great opportunities for improvement um, within that that group. Um, 
depth-wise, but not on an individual level. No, I, you know, you can't you can't criticize guys like Kyle and the other ones I mentioned. They are super athletes, and, and you know, I'm so glad they weren't around when I was racing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope that Kyle's shoulders can stay together, ready for the next. Uh, uh, I spoke to him in Adelaide, and and uh, they are better than ever. That's awesome. better than ever. No pain for the first time in years was his exact word. So uh, hopefully he uh, he's on the, he's on the mend and and uh, can really start racing hard again. And I know you've had a lot of involvements in swimming since you retired and are now president of New South Wales Swimming and involvement in FINA. Talk to us a little bit about that and how you got involved in the admin side of swimming. Uh, well, I avoided it for a little while and then um, I found my way um, through, uh, cause I, I work a lot in IT and I have done now for 20 years, run IT companies. And, and, and so there was a particular um, requirement within Swimming Australia to move the membership system online, um, maybe 2004 or five ish. And so the president reached out to me to see if I'd be interested in you, you know, obviously my background with the elite swimming as well. So um, I joined the board and, and uh, I sat on the board there for, you know, four or five years and, and uh, before I um, uh, moved off. And, and around that time too, we started uh, with Matthew Dunn, who was on the board as well, um, focusing on the connection that we had with FINA. Uh, and there were just some positions that had kind of opened up around that time. Matt um, has done an amazing job. Actually, he'd be a great interview for you at some point, but he's now um, a vice president of FINA. And um, he uh, he kind of went on as a delegate and 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 I took a role on the disciplinary panel. So with FINA, as a, as I'm a, a qualified lawyer as well. And, and um, I kind of sat there for about eight years uh, working uh, with them. Um, domestically, I... I volunteered in with the Olympic Committee. So I was the deputy chef de mission for the, the Rio and also the London Games. So I stepped away from pure swimming and, and into kind of the Olympic side of things for a while. And deputy chef is like a deputy manager type, type role. Um, and that was, again, great fun. But post um, Rio, I'd kind of, uh, you know, done done the Olympics a couple of times and I and, uh, was looking for a new challenge and um, felt um, I could really contribute uh, to New South Wales swimming. Um, the president there had been in my ear for a little while to see if I could, um, yeah, would, would put my hand up to help out. And, and it was the way it worked out. Graham, Graham Toll is, is, is his name for those who, who may know him. Graham was the president and a fabulous guy and on pool deck still constantly. Um, and it was, oh, come on and, and nudge, Graham. I'm kind of a little, yeah, too busy. I've got a bit much on. Oh, that's okay. I'll, I'll circle back in, you know, a few months and he comes back and come on. And I thought, oh, I've got a time. And he said, oh, you know, you, you don't need to be president or anything. It'd just, it'd just be great for you to, to be on the board. And seriously, I reckon within two months of me joining the board, he's having a conversation saying, well, you know, there's an AGM coming up, you know, pretty shortly. And post that, I reckon it'd be really good for you to, you know, for you to be president, you know. And and, uh, and so he, uh, yeah, he basically played me beautifully the whole way through. And um, as, it's, as it's worked out, I, I do have a great passion for, for New South Wales and, and um and improving the um, the pathways for kids and coaches, um, particularly. Um, I think you know there's lots we can do. We've done a really great job over the last three years of um, diversifying, you know, the different clubs that are doing well, supporting some of the programs that um, needed a bit of support, trialing a few different pathway uh, models. Um, and uh, you know we, we've we've really made significant improvement at an age group level. 
um, in New South Wales swimming as far as depth of um, talent is concerned, both in coaches and athletes. Uh, our next challenge is really to start getting more people on teams. So, you know, in the World Championships, I think we have four people on the team. In the Commonwealth Games, maybe five. Um, and, yeah, from my mind, it's just not enough for the biggest state with the most amount of members, you know. So I, I would love a situation, and it might not be until 2032, and by the, the, the time that happens, I won't be the president of New South Wales Swimming, but I, I would love to see a situation where, you know, if we're representing nearly 40% of the members, nearly 40% of the team and coaches actually sit on that team from New South Wales. And we, we have some particular challenges, um, you know, that our, our friends uh, north of the border don't have. Um, that we need to overcome, but I like to think that we can be, you know, smart in the way we do things and, and creative in the way in which we solve problems. And um, we just need to be persistent, you know, yeah. and as much as anything and, and uh, keep trying and not be afraid to fail, but yeah, keep trying new things with good reason, you know. Yeah, because back in the 80s when I was swimming, New South Wales swimming was huge and they always used to have heaps of swimmers on all the national teams and very, very strong at age nationals, et cetera. So yeah, and then heaps of coaches on the national teams. Yes. You know, heaps of coaches yeah. on the national teams as well. And it was a it was a different era and it was an era where uh, the coach would generally have the lease at the pool. Uh, they'd have the learn to swim school. And uh, so they could fund, you know, the, the, the development and also fund you know, themselves to be focused on, on those higher end kind of athletes. Um, you know, that commercial model has changed significantly over the last 20 years, um, not for the better of, of the sport, you know, I've got to say. Um, and uh, we just have to find different models to, to, to make that kind of work for us. So working with the big firms that have the, the pool space, working with schools um, is another way that we kind of work, we kind of get pool space and, and, and facilities and, and coaches. And um, like I said, we just need to be smarter than, and, and not keep doing the same thing time in, time out. Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting to see that a lot of those kind of club programs have moved across to different schools that have their own pool and can afford to get their own coach in. So that is a very different model to, you know, what it was back 30 years ago, I suppose. Yeah, it, it is. Um, but, you know, when I look at the, the age championships just recently, you know, our top four clubs, there'd be a couple of schools in, in uh, Knox, Pimble and Trinity. But then there are programs like the Sydney Olympic Park um, program, which is just fantastic. And, and uh, Matthew Brown, the, the coach over there, is doing a great job. Uh, Cam over at Warringah, um, uh, that's also a council pool, and he's done a great job getting his club into the top 10. And, and uh, you know, even West Illawarra, you know, is another great club and, again, non-school. So I think with the right infrastructure provider, um, we, can, we can do great things, and, and all of those guys that have that. Um, difficult sometimes if your, your infrastructure provider is not supportive of an elite program for good commercial reasons. It's yeah. very difficult to kind of get those programs up and going. Yes, yeah. And going back to a bit about your own swimming, you've, you've reached such huge heights with your own swimming. What inspires you now just to keep swimming? Um, not, not vanity, I can tell you. Um, <laughs> it's just not a big enough motivation, uh, certainly not money. Um, you know, uh, there's no amount of money that would get you into a pool, I reckon, on a cold morning if, um, if you didn't have to. Um, I love the sport. Um, I love the camaraderie I have um, with the guys I swim with at the moment. It's just great fun. Um, I do like a goal. So, you know, whether it be in pool or in ocean uh, over the last 15 or 20 years, that's been really, really good for me to have. And um, 
gets me out of bed uh, to actually go and do things. I like being, you know, I like being healthy. Um, but as far as the swimming, I'm, I'm probably better at swimming. I, I did a lot of running for a while, but you know, your body wears out, particularly at my kind of size. You know, <laughs> I'm not exactly built for built for swimming uh, for running. So I just I find swimming a great um, a great exercise for me. I do it well, and um, I like being good at it. And uh, the water for me, where again, whether it be ocean or or pool. Um, it's a it's a real peaceful place for me, you know, and uh, and uh, I find it really centers me well, and, and that's probably what attracts me more than anything back to the water. Yeah, and I mean, I know that the uh, the whole masters swimming community in Australia was delighted to see you on pool deck at nationals, and I think that kind of role modeling and and having someone of your sort of status there can only do good things for the rest of the swimming in Australia as well, not only our professional swimmers. But that is a, a sort of a mantle that hopefully you're happy to sort of shoulder. Yeah, I think about that occasionally, not not, not so much. Swimming is a really um, interesting sport uh, as far as people continuing to compete post-professional career, and there's very few that kind of are interested. It's a, it's a sport where you require significant amount of dedication, time, effort, and just emotional investment, and, and most of us, um, most of us don't get the payback for that when it's time to, um, you know, put, hang the goggles up. So uh, whether you've been an Olympic swimmer or not, that's the case. And and uh, so I feel fortunate that I still have a great passion and and, and love the sport. And and uh, I, I must say I don't I don't you know lay awake going when's my next swimming race in the pool. I'm so excited by it. Um, I love uh, training for something with a group of guys, and that, that's really what gets me to, to pool deck. Um, and if I can inspire on the way through, that's super. Um, but it's certainly not my, my motivation. It's, it's, it's For me, it's about having a bit of fun and uh, doing something I'm good at. It always makes me feel happy as well. Yeah, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. I think that sort of encompasses the whole of master swimming in general is just that camaraderie that you have with your training group and and a bit of fun when you go along to you know if you get to race or you know we don't always get our best races these days but it's still fun having a go and having that goal to challenge yourself with yeah and the, and the goal is challenging uh, as well so um yeah the, the process you hear about people talk about the process the process for me is probably you know, a great great thing i mean we, we i trained as i said earlier for, as a quad in the duo uh, for Rotto and, and both programs were different, both strategies were different. You know, we sat and worked out what type of work we needed to do to, to do it. I think crazily when we did it as a quad, we were, we were switching every 90 seconds for, I don't know, four and a half hours or something, which was oh, just okay. ridiculous. What we didn't actually kind of train enough for was getting in and out of a boat. So we were also sore the next day from 30 different changes that we did. And alternatively, as a duo, you know, training, you know, a lot, lot, lot longer and just kind of getting some of those longer distance sessions away uh, was a great, great kind of fun thing to do as well. Um, you know, in the sprint, being really specific, my, my philosophy of training is to be specific to the event we're training for and, and uh um, yeah, that seems to, to fare, fare well um, for me. And, and um, the, the thing I have learned a lot, and I, I watch a lot of kids, my daughters both swim and, and uh, I get very keen swimmers and, and uh, even into their late teens and, and, and Claudia now is early 20s, um, still likes to compete and train, but it, it's become obvious to me that as a kid, you need to be in a squad where you're having fun. 
and you need to have mates. And uh, if you're if you're training and just not liking that environment, kids don't survive it. So I think I think if you ask most people who kind of get through to that Olympic level, at some stage in their formative kind of swimming, they were just in a great squad with a whole heap of friends that were all doing the same thing and pushing each other really hard. And ultimately, you become more of an individual as you know, those other athletes. Um, kind of retire or go and do other sports or whatever. But there will be a time over a few years where they switched on and that, that time will be when they're having great fun. There's no doubt. Just going back to the Roto swim that you mentioned, is that the the sort of the furthest swim that you've ever done in the ocean? Uh, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a swim um, that I know many of the Masters guys have done as well from Lanai to Maui. Um, and that's uh, an annual swim. You know, we've done that as a team as well. Um, but yeah, certainly it's about, and it's about the same distance. I want to say it's between 20 and 22K kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's the furthest. I'm, uh, I'm a kind of a little bit of a fair weather swimmer from an ocean temperature perspective. So I've had a couple of offers to do things like the channel, but have absolutely no want um, to get into cold water and and uh, and that's yeah, just not something <laughs> not something that I can be tempted into. Maybe if you're allowed to wear wetsuits at some point, I might think about it. But yeah, certainly, certainly, certainly not. Uh, yeah, in a pair of togs, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, Chris, I always like to finish um, the podcast with a fast five deep dive favorite swimming questions. Mm -hmm. So, tell me the first thing that pops into your mind. What's the favorite pool that you've ever swum in? Uh, that would have to be SOPAC. Great memories there. Yeah. And favourite racing goggles? Favourite racing goggles? Uh, I'd have to I'd have to say the uh, the, the Speedo, um, what am I wearing mainly? I'm just trying to remember the name of them these days, but just the, the small kind of racing goggles from Speedo are the ones that I kind of wear all the time. Yep. James will kill me because he's the marketing guy at um, <laughs> Speedo, but I... Um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I'm just struggling to remember the actual type at the moment. Are they the ones that curve around your eyes? No, 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 no. Just, just the normal ones. Yeah. Just the, the opals. 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 Yeah. Yep. Opal. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and do you prefer kick or pull in training? Uh, I actually don't mind either, but I am a significantly better with a pull boy than I am with a kickboard. <laughs> what about your favourite training drill? Favorite training drill. Um, that's a that's a good one. Um, let me think. Um, probably um, uh, one one arm kind of on the side. So slow kind of um, slow rotation kind of drill. I, I would say is probably the best. Where you're really focusing on you know high elbow, slow arm kind of recovery and keeping core um, up on up on the top of the water uh, as well as you're kicking. So it's like really slow, really slow freestyle is probably the best way to describe it with faster legs. Do you do that with or without snorkel? I do that without. And what has been your favourite training set of the past month? Our favourite, my, probably my favourite in the last month as we focused on the sprint, we did a, a set of um, sprints where we went uh, dive starts, um, 15 metres, 25 metres, 35 metres. We did that twice, so just six sprints and then swam off, you know, 150 odd metres easy kind of between. So I, I tend to find, particularly with sprinting, people don't practice sprinting well. And so our focus is really making sure we are absolutely flat out. So if you need another 50 metres of rest, no problem. If you need an extra 30 seconds of rest, no problem. It's all about that top end kind of velocity. 
and that um, and that's how we kind of train our sprint. And like I said, six. I'll tell you a quick story before I go. I, I, when I was younger, Laurie Lawrence, who you may well know, is a great Australian coach, but mainly coached um, older, uh, um, uh, longer distance um, swimmers. Julie McDonald, Duncan Armstrong, John Seaborn all went through Laurie, amongst many others. We trained at the same pool for a long time at Palm Beach on the Gold Coast, and. Uh, I was doing a sprint session one one day and Laurie came over to my coach and said, oh, you know, Greg, what do you do for Chris to kind of improve his speed? And Greg said, oh, we do, you know, 25s, you know, like this. And, and he was, we were just kind of running through them at the time, maybe some 15 or 20 metre dives. And and uh, how many do you do? Oh, you know, we do six or eight or something like that. And and um, uh, that's, that's you know, that's kind of what we focus on. So the next day we turn up and Laurie's crew was already in the water doing a set of 25s. After about half an hour, I looked across, they're still doing 25s. And 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 so Laurie's uh Laurie, Laurie's thought at that time, I'm sure he's changed his thoughts now, was if if Chris is doing eight and making him faster, then surely 30 is better, you know. And and uh and the poor, the poor buggers were were trying their best to sprint each of those on, you know, on 30 seconds or whatever they were doing, but it kind of defeated the purpose of the top end uh sprinting stuff. And um uh and yeah so for my mind yeah less is more in sprinting yeah that i think that's great advice yeah absolutely i love that story thanks so much for sharing all your insights with us today chris it's been lovely hearing about your swimming journey and best wishes for hopefully breaking that world record uh, again yeah great thank you very much nice to be here yeah nice to meet you too okay take care thank you Mark. thanks for listening into the podcast today I hope you enjoyed hearing from Chris as he shared his thoughts and stories about swimming. Don't forget to tell a master swimming friend about us and check out our new website at www.torpedoswimtalk.com because we've got loads of great stuff for you to look at and to go down the master swimming rabbit hole. I know I'm not the only one that does it, so be honest and head down that hole and find out everything you can about master swimming. Till next time. Happy swimming and bye for now.